What's up? It's Delaney, and I'd love to invite you to become an honorary co-host of the Self-Helpless Podcast. Do you want to pick episode topics and guests? Done. Want to surprise your loved ones with shout-outs on the show for a birthday, project launch, a much-needed divorce? Whatever you're up to, would love to be a part of the celebration. Get your favorite and least favorite quotes featured on the podcast, submit questions for our special guests, and find lots more new features and surprises at patreon.com slash selfhelpless. You'll also get added to our patron insider email list to easily redeem rewards via a quick email reply because we know hanging out on Patreon isn't everyone's thing. You can also opt out of emails if you prefer to be a silent supporter of the show. And don't worry, we do not Scrooge McDuck these contributions. 100% of proceeds go directly to operating expenses that make this weekly podcast possible and available to all. Learn more at patreon.com selfhelpless or simply click the link in this episode's description. Thank you for helping me fill the void of being the last standing host of the Self Helpless Podcast. Thank you so much. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Can you help? Can you help me? Can you help? Can you help? Can you help me? Can you help? Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Self Helpless Podcast. I'm Delaney Fisher, and we have such an amazing guest today. Katie Morton is here. Katie is a licensed therapist and best-selling author. You might know her from her wildly uh, popular and successful YouTube channel. Her content is just incredible. And you may have seen her on The Doctors and E! News and KTLA and all that good stuff. And Katie today is talking about learned helplessness, and she offers such a great variety of examples of why learned helplessness happens, how it might show up in our lives, and really what we can do about it. So whether you feel like you're struggling with learned helplessness or somebody in your life that you really love is struggling with this, she covers all the different ways that you can take action, um, whether it's for yourself or somebody else. And we covered a lot of ground today. We talked about different relationships. She even shared um, some really great tips on maybe you're, you're considering ending a relationship or moving in a different direction from a situation. Um, she talked about what you can consider um, when you're making those types of decisions. It was just jam packed this episode. And I just really, really love this conversation. This was um, a helpster's choice topic. So thank you so much to our Patreon community for voting on this topic. We really appreciate it. If you want to vote on topics that you know we cover on the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash self-helpless. And before we get into the episode, if you're an entrepreneur, business owner, and you're looking for a business podcast that will give you a lot of hot tips, uh, would love to have you over at the Minimalist Business Podcast. You can find this at my website, delaneyfisher.com. It is, um, it's a private show, but it's completely free. And we talk about how to scale a business without sacrificing your time and your values and how to earn higher profits and uh, not burn yourself the fuck out. So would love to have you over there if you want to check it out. All right, everybody, here is Katie Morton. Katie, thank you so much for being here today. So excited to have you. Yeah, excited to be here. Excited to talk about this. It's going to oh be interesting. God. Me too. Um, this was actually voted on by our community, this topic. So people are very curious about it. And I just have to say, um, I have been binging your content uh, since last <laughs> night. It is so fucking good. It really is. It is so honest. It is so needed. It's like, it's some of the most refreshing stuff I've seen in such a long time. Um, and our listeners know I'm not really like on social media and YouTube and all this stuff. And my <laughs> God, I'm like addicted to it. So thank you for what you do. It's so important. Of course. Of course. I'm glad it's helpful. I'm glad you're enjoying it. <laughs> yes. Um, before we get into the topic today, do you have a favorite or least favorite quote that you'd like to share? 
Yes, I have a favorite quote. And if anybody's watched my thing, my videos at all over the years or live streams, they know this quote. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt said it and it's comparison is the thief of joy. And I've always liked that. It's a good reminder because you yeah. can always look out at other people and be like, oh, they've got it so much better, especially with social media because you're seeing someone's highlight reel. Meanwhile, you're in your pajamas trying to figure out you know, what you're doing. Um, so yeah, it's a good reminder. Oh, so good. Yeah, we talk a lot about um, my co-host Kelsey is very much on social media. I left social media a couple years back and the uh, the comparison trap is real. And you know what? It doesn't go away when you leave social media. It just kind of creeps up in other areas. It's like I've we're noticed. trained to do it as kids or something. It's like societally accepted that we compare to others to judge our own life and essentially feel shitty about it. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that's like a survival thing where we're like trying to make sure that we're in a better position because of like, I don't know, old mentality of being part of communities and not like getting kicked out and all, you know, th- those types yeah. of things. It definitely possible. I've never thought about it from that perspective, but totally it would make sense like from caveman days, right? Like exactly. we're also, we always have lived and we still do, even if people don't want to admit it in like a hierarchical type situation, right? There's always people in this upper class, lower class, middle class, like we still break things up that way. And I think as people, we like to be part of groups. Right. And so we like to know where we stand. So I think we're always looking out to be like, am I in the middle? Am I at the top? Am I, you know, and if we're competitive or perfectionistic, we're going to always want to. Uh, yeah, we're up. fucked. <laughs> totally fucked. 100%. Yes, that totally makes sense. I'm always wondering like, okay, why is this happening? What, what about my survival brain is this kind of thing coming from? That's mm-hmm. always kind of helpful. Um, all right, let's dig into this. Can you just start with what is learned helplessness? What is this thing? Yeah, of course. So learned helplessness really occurs when it was started by with animals. So it's when animals are repeatedly subjected to harmful or painful stimuli and they can't escape. So it's like we, I believe it was the Skinner box. If we want to get really nerdy with it, let's do it. There are these old psychological research studies that could no longer happen because they're unethical, but essentially they had these rats that they put into these Skinner boxes. Skinner was the researcher, a psychologist. And they put them in these boxes and they would electrocute, not enough to kill them, just to make it uncomfortable, like a little snap kind of in the floor of it. And if they couldn't get away, they would just stop running because where am I going to go? And so that's essentially what learned helplessness is. And we see it a lot with children who grow up in abusive environments because we, you know, we talk about fight and flight a lot, our stress response, which is really our body's way of readying us to take action, to protect us. It's it's Darwinian, right? It keeps us alive. It, it makes sure we can adapt and, and be okay. Yeah. But if we can't fight or flight, then we freeze. And when we freeze, that's essentially learned helplessness. And the reason that we go into freeze as children is because usually we're smaller, we're weaker, and we don't have a, a lot of resources or opportunity to get away. People always forget like, oh, you know, when I was little, I should have fought back. Why did I let that happen? Why did, why did I go back over to that place? because you didn't have a lot of options. You didn't have a lot of resources. And so you go back and you go into that learned helplessness or free state. Oh, wow. Okay. And I read a little bit about this too, where they did a study like similar to the the rats that you were saying, but with dogs, I think, Mm -hmm. or some, there was some other animal where it was like the first round, they couldn't escape it. But then like the second, third rounds after that, they could have, but they just didn't try. Oh, that's the shuttle box one. Yes. Oh, so could you, could you explain like, you know, is, is there a way for, for people or animals to understand that there, there are options at some point, or is it like really hard to break out of that, that learned helplessness? How does that work? It's If you already have that state, so let's say we already go into learned helplessness or our free state over and over and over all the time. <clears throat> the way to get out of it is, it, it is going to sound really strange. It's not about showing us there's a way out. It's about bringing movement back in mm-hmm. and having that movement. So first of all, because if we're frozen, our body's ready to us to take action and we're not taking any action. So if we take action, it like releases some of that built up energy. And then it would be so that that's like the first step is just act like activating again. So that could be through changing the temperature. That sounds weird, but like it jostles our nervous system and we're like, oh, maybe I should try again. 
So we'll feel motivated to try again. And so it's that getting the action back in, if this is making sense, that then we'll feel motivated to try again. And that's when hopefully if it's done therapeutically, it's not damaging or traumatizing, right? So when we're taking the action, it's okay. It's safe. You're, you don't feel threatened. You're not hurt. And we slowly unlearn, just like we learn something. We can always unlearn it. We call it, um, I forget. It's like when you want to cease a response, you just have to teach the other way. Okay. Interesting. So, so (laughs) changing up your environment or changing the way that you do things within your environment first, before kind of like going outside of that is potentially like step number one, when you're in therapy. Yes. Especially because we can't control other people. We can't control other scenarios. So we want to do it in a controlled environment, something that we can manage. Otherwise we could risk doing it again. Okay. Interesting. Would you be able to share some like kind of common um, examples of learned helplessness and learned helplessness? I know you kind of mentioned like maybe going back to a situation that's not good for you, but is there anything that you've seen patterns of over and over? Yeah. um, It can show up, like I said, like if you don't leave a situation that's harmful or or unable to, and I want to like really emphasize the unable to, because it feels like we can't, this learned helplessness is like, I cannot. So I don't want anybody judging themselves. We already have enough shame, guilt to go around. Um, But another way that we can, that it can present, and we've all had either friends or even done this ourselves, where people try to offer advice or feedback to assist. And we're like, no, that won't work. No, that won't work. We won't even entertain the idea that there's another way of thinking or another way of doing something where it's like, it's just, this is just the way it is. And we hear, we hear that all the time too. It's just the way it is. I just have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And, and that's another form I believe of learned helplessness because no matter what people throw at us, we're like, nope, nope, nope. We poo poo everything. It's never going to work. This is the reality. And um, I've talked to my audience a lot about kind of the, the difficulty we can have in acknowledging that we have a choice because sometimes we'll say like, well, I don't have a choice. I just have to put up with this. This is just how it is. And I'm like, no, you have a choice. It's just the choice that you have to make is one that goes against something from your past. It's a pattern. It goes against what you think your role is as a child, as a sibling, as a daughter, as a mother, as a father, as a whatever. It goes against something. And therefore you're like, well, I don't have a choice. And I'm like, yeah, you do. And it's actually a better one. You just, and that's that learned helplessness. No, this is what I do. This is the thing that I do. And we, it's almost like, because we are creatures of habit and comfort, we go back to things that we're used to and the new and the different feels really uncomfortable so we struggle with that. And I think that's a form of it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Is learned helplessness always connected to some kind of trauma, whether it's PTSD or childhood trauma, or is it, can it kind of occur in like isolated situations as well that's not connected to trauma? Yeah, I would assume it doesn't always connect to trauma because we can still put ourselves in positions that aren't comfortable that we don't like. It's almost like um, when I was growing up. So I had this really um, wonderful and then terrible boyfriend, you know, it's like a good and then got real bad through high school. And then I repeated this pattern with other guys I dated where I would look for like similar attributes to him. And it was like a shit show for like a good 10 years. Um, It was awesome. Just kidding. And (laughs) been there. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I'm like, thank God for therapy. Um, Thanks, Jana, for pulling me out. Um, But anyway, I didn't see what I was doing. And I think some of that was like, well, no, but this is what relationships are like. And and I know that we think of learned helplessness as like, I'm helpless. But I think sometimes we're like emotionally helpless where we're like, I don't know another way to feel. Or I think this is just what it's supposed to be. And until someone shows us kind of like if we go back to the dogs or the rats in the box, if someone showed them, hey, look, this door is open. You, you can leave any time. They'd be like, get the fuck. I'm out of here. It's over. And no one showed me that door until I was in therapy. Even though if I think back, my mom and dad were like, I don't like this guy. My dad wouldn't let him come to the house. I mean, there were lots of signs, but until somebody I, I could hear told me, Hey, there's this other way. I wouldn't let myself out of that pattern. And so I think it doesn't always have to be trauma related. It's honestly very just pattern related. Right. Oh man. That. It's such a good point because I have also been in patterns where I'm going to people that, you know, it's not a good situation and and 
continuously looking for similar things. And you do, you feel like, well, I'm the one in control choosing this, but you might not realize like why you're, why you're opting for this person over this person to where, um, in my situation, the people that were probably going to be the best for me almost felt a little bit boring. I mean, to be very honest, 100%. One of my my friends, Kale, she keeps getting in these like horrible relationships. And we've talked about this on her podcast. And I said, I want you to be bored. I know that sounds terrible. My therapist had told me that too. She said, I want you to feel like kind of bored and also a little uncomfortable because it doesn't quite feel right. She's like, not uncomfortable, like something in my gut tells me to run away, but uncomfortable, like, well, what comes next? What, wait, how come you're not reachable? You know what I mean? Like essentially getting me out of this, this like sick pattern where I, I didn't understand that. Like I did, I knew I had a choice to be in these relationships, but it didn't feel like that. And you're like, people will say like, what am I a fly strip for like dysfunctional people? You know? And I'm like, no, but they're comfortable to you for some reason. And we've learned that that's what we, it could be a parent. Often we blame parents, but I think it can be other relationships. It can even just be our own self-confidence and our sense of self, right? Like, I think that's where mine was born out of is like not thinking that I really deserved to be loved. Like, I didn't think love should be easy. I thought you always had to like really work at it. Like, well, make it happen. Yeah. You don't. Um, Spoilers. That's not healthy. Um, But, you know, we, we, don't often realize all the past patterns that we're still acting out of today. And we can just be like asleep at the wheel, you know? Yes, definitely. I, I went through that phase. Okay. This feels a little bit boring. And then you get used to that. And you're like, Oh no, this is just healthy. This is what this is. (laughs) This is just a loving relationship. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it, it can be very jarring. And I know that for me, I think I've just realized as I get older, like, Oh, familiarity doesn't always mean healthy or Mm -hmm. good for me, or that I should, should keep doing this thing or continuing this pattern. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Um, are you able to share any, whether examples from people that you've worked with or yourself of um, a situation where you caught yourself in kind of like a learned helplessness kind of pattern and then how you took like the baby steps to, you know, move in a different direction. Mm. Yeah. I can't think of one from a patient necessarily, but I can think personally, like, because I was sharing about um, that relationship I had through high school, it was like a five-year long relationship. And, and when it ended, my therapist was like, I want you to be uncomfortable. Right. I found myself struggling to enjoy being like we're talking about it's kind of boring right so I would meet other guys and I would be like oh hmm and it would be I would tell my therapist about them I'd be like oh I went on a date with this guy he was super interesting I really like him and she was like eh like stop so I didn't even I don't think I noticed without her telling me Um. and it took It took a few, I'm going to say like four or five different dates and meeting people where then I was able, because as a therapist, I know that you can't tell a patient like, oh, well, this is why it's happening. You have this pattern because of this, and this is what you're looking for because it's too much for you as the patient to absorb, right? You're like, whoa. Also it can feel, you can get defensive. You're like, get out of my head. Who are you? You don't know me. You know, we can do that kind of a thing, but she would be like, just consider why we like him so much. You've only met him twice. So that seems like a lot. Like, you know, she would just 
that seems like a, a bit of a stretch and we don't really know. And so she forced me to like slow down. She'd be like, I don't want you to see him this week. Make plans for next week. And I want you to notice how he responds. Ah, uh, that's really good. And so she would have homework like that. And when I say that they didn't respond well, they didn't respond well to like boundaries. Cause that was my problem is that I would get in these relationships where there was no allowance of healthy boundaries. I couldn't be my own person. I had to be completely enmeshed with them. Yeah. And, and then I would lose myself in relationships and that was just super unhealthy. And I wish I could say as a therapist, I'm like, I know better. I do better. Look at me. I noticed right away. <laughs> no, my therapist was like, whoa, 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 you know, let's, 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 let's take a break. Um, and so she slowed it down. And once she did that, then I realized, oh, and that was like the aha moment. I was like, I'm attracted to them because I enjoy being the emotional Sherpa for people. Mm. So that's why there's no boundaries because I become like the emotional. I don't even know what you want to call it, like holder for the whole relationship. And so I attach quickly. I give everything. I get very emotionally involved very fast. And that allows people who are not emotionally intelligent and somewhat naive or, you know, I don't know, assholes um, to kind of just follow along and not have to do the work themselves. Interesting. So when, when you were in those patterns, did you feel like you were really getting something out of that? Like, were you enjoying it or you really just kind of chalk it up to kind of a learned behavior or did you enjoy being like that emotionally, you know, uh, the, the emotional one, I guess? Yeah, no, I, I loved it because as not that I'm super into Enneagrams, but I believe them a little bit. Okay. <laughs> the Enne- if anybody doesn't know, you can look into them, but I, I'm like, a, I like to be a caretaker. I think it's the reason that I'm a therapist. I like to help people. I like to support and that helps me fill that role. Oh yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So um, yeah. Super toxic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, gosh, thank you so much for sharing all this. I, I watched one of your videos and I feel like this is something that's popping up. Um, you know, as I talk to more friends and and our community, as they share stories with us via email and stuff, there was an, there is a, a, um, a video that you did about how friendships kind of change, like Mm -hmm. in your thirties. And, you know, sometimes you kind of, once you start, um, setting boundaries or working on yourself, the same relationships are not no longer a fit. Would you be able to share a little bit about that experience with like, yeah, the friendship changes in your life or phases like that? Yeah, I think the thing that happens, whether we want to admit it or not, is as we get older, our time that we have for friends gets less and less. And that's just because of, I mean, I don't have children and we're not going to have children, but I do have a husband and I have a business and we get busy. Yeah. And our twenties were more of like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm figuring it out, you know, (laughs) and people are just, we're, we have more time. Therefore we have these big friend groups of people like, Oh, we're all going to go out to get together and, you know, have dinner and go dancing or whatever. And it depends on your lifestyle what you, even if you're gaming or whatever, there's tends to be more of you that have time. Right. As we get older, we have to be more selective because we don't have that time. And for me during that process, not only was it a time constraint, but it was also just the, the, the choices that we were making in life could differ greatly. Like for example, you could have friends who don't want to stop partying or stop doing that kind of behavior and you do or vice versa. So the people who choose a different path, you kind of grow away from, I think we often think of relationships ending as like, it has to be like, she lied to me and she did this. She talked behind my back. Like there has to be a fight, right. Or something horrible happens. But in my experience, it's actually just, you grow apart. And I think that as I've worked on myself, especially not only did it end romantic relationships, but it ended some friendships because I realized, remember that emotional Sherpa of me in romantic relationships, guess what? She also showed up in my friendships. She was everywhere. It was terrible. And I think when I realized that and stopped doing that, then they weren't there because I was the one putting in the effort, right? I was the one giving all of that energy to the relationship. And as soon as I stopped, there was nothing. I had this friendship through high school for a really long time where, and we're not friends anymore, 
where I, she would always call me when she needed something, but I could never get a hold of her if I needed anything. And it was this one way street always with the relationship, but I didn't realize until I started doing my own work and having healthy boundaries and not being reachable all the time, all the things that my therapist had made me do over the years, like as homework, it suddenly put those relationships in a different light. And so we just grew apart essentially because I was the only one holding it together. And I think that's, it was really sad to figure that out at first because you're like, well, fuck, like, was that even, did they even want to be my friend or am I just like putting in all this effort? And it, you know, I was never important, but my therapist helped me like reframe it where instead of thinking of it, like, Oh, I was the only one that wanted this relationship. They didn't even really want to be friends with me. That's from like a negative standpoint. What if instead we considered that's the role that they know how to fill And therefore you left that role open and they're like, oh, this is really comfortable in the same way it was comfortable for me. We tend to find and be attracted to these people who play the roles we're looking for. And so in order to grow up, you know, as I, and it's not even just growing up, but just choosing better relationships, I've learned to find friends who put in the same amount of effort as me and who meet me where I'm at and who are reachable when I, who I can count on. That's been a really big thing for me because I find it very triggering if someone isn't consistent and I can't count on them. And so if I focus in on that and look for that in relationships in general, I'm much happier. Yeah. Oh, that makes, yeah. That reciprocity is so important in Mm -hmm. so many different ways. We actually just did an episode about priorities that shift in your twenties and thirties, just from mine and Kelsey's perspective. And for me, the biggest one was like friendships used to be like my number two. And now they're like my number five or six, not because I don't deeply love my friends, but I just never had all these other things in my life in my twenties. I didn't have a husband or a business or, you know, a home or whatever dogs, like all these things, really great relationships with my family, even closer. And it just feels like kind of a natural progression. And I love what you said about, you know, it doesn't have to be like this this like big crazy fight or thing, but sometimes you just kind of grow in different directions from each other. And like, you know, that's okay. Um, is okay. Let's say somebody's tuning in right now and they feel like somebody in their life that they really love is experiencing learned helplessness in some way. Um, how, you know, at what point does that person kind of maybe, is there a point where they they have to kind of stop encouraging that person to seek help? Um, Or like, how do you draw that boundary of like wanting the best for somebody, but also taking care of yourself to where you're not encouraging them to like do something different for themselves? Does that make sense? (laughs) No, that totally, it totally makes sense. It's like, where's the line between I love you and want to help you because I want better for you. And I'm lighting myself on fire to keep you warm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think to be honest, and this is always hard for people to hear, all you can do is check in on those you love and offer support that you actually can give. Mm. And I know that that's hard to hear but we can't make people change. One of the biggest learnings, even for myself, I feel like I have to relearn it every day is that I can't control other people. And we often just wish and hope that we could, and, oh, I could move on if they would just apologize or, oh, if, if I could just get them into treatment, they would finally realize, you know, and stop drinking or whatever the problem is, right? We want to check in on, uh, they would finally see that they're, they're doing this learned helplessness thing, and then they could get better. Unfortunately. We can't make other people do anything. All we can do is control ourselves. And that means that all you can do is check in, offer support a couple of times every so often. And if they accept it, then you do your part. And if they don't, you move on. And I don't mean move on, like leave the relationship. If you find it's toxic and it's not helpful for you, And also toxic doesn't mean that they're bad and you're good. It just means it's a bad recipe. You know, it's like putting, I don't know, onions and 
peanut butter together or something. Um, you're like, Ugh. I you know? love that analogy. Actually, that's so good. Cause I feel like the word toxic and toxicity is so overused and it is often meant to be like, Oh, I'm the good one. And they're the, the shit one. It's like, yeah. no, I love that. It's just a bad recipe. You, your guys's stuff does not mix well together. I yeah. love that's such a good takeaway. It's like, you're, you're filling that one void, right? Like I was talking about that friend that that's probably the role she knew how to play. And I only knew how to play this role. And the, both roles weren't good for either of, you know, it's just bad. Right. Right. So, right. So if that relationship, you find that, that they like reach out for help and then don't accept it, you know, cause some people will do that and that's hurtful for you. Then you have, you know, my permission to end that friendship or at least talk about it and move on or whatever is best for you. Um, but unfortunately, if we have a friend in that situation, we can check in on them. We can even mention, Hey, you know, I, I feel like, you know, things aren't going that well. And I just want, but you, again, you can't really call it out. I think what you're experiencing, I mean, you could try. I have a feeling we'd, they'd get defensive or you don't understand. Right. You don't know them. You don't know the situation. I mean, we know how our friends respond and react to stuff like that, to feeling like pointed. Nobody right. likes feeling pointed at. So I find it's better to just check in, be there if you can in a way that's, you know, that is okay. doesn't take from you. It's just part of, you know, the love and the relationship. And that's it, you know? Yeah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So like checking it, asking a question. And then do you, would you say also like if, if there's an opportunity saying, Hey, have you ever thought about talking to somebody about this, like a professional, or do you even recommend that, that opening and delivering that information? I think that's helpful. I think it it will land better if you share your own experience, if you have it. Right. I find that even personally with my friends ends up going a lot farther than me being like, well, maybe you should talk to somebody about that. Because then again, people get defensive. What do you think? I'm crazy. You know, people still have stigmas associated right. with getting help. I find it goes better if you're like, you know, I was going through something kind of similar. Remember when I was having that tough time at whatever, you know, cause if they're your friend, they should know. Yeah. And then you would say something like, yeah, I went and saw that therapist or psychologist or whoever. And if it was really helpful. It gave me a perspective. I don't know if that'd be helpful for you, but you know, that was helpful for me. Right. Right. Um, oh, those are all really good. Those are really good tips. Let's say somebody is tuning in right now and they're really resonating with what you're saying and they feel like, oh, I think I'm I think I'm experiencing like learned helplessness for some mm -hmm. reason or another. Um, how can they differentiate if this is something that they can work to pull themselves out of in a way, or mm -hmm. it's almost like, seems like this could be connected to certain other disorders. Maybe I'm totally mistaken, but if there's personality disorders where that's kind of the default personality, like how can they differentiate for themselves what they might be experiencing? I guess you'd have to, uh, the thing, the best thing you can always do when it comes to like self-help stuff, right? Ways that we can do things today, because I know therapy is expensive or inaccessible for a lot of people. Um, be a detective about yourself mm. and consider, consider what I'm saying. Detectives don't judge. They don't make assumptions. They don't jump to conclusions. We let the evidence speak for itself. I'm also a huge Law and Order SVU fan, so just let the evidence speak for itself. <laughs> so is my husband. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Olivia Benson, yourself around your life, you have to find <laughs> things and and look for those patterns because really that's a huge part of being a therapist is looking for patterns and try to think of things from a different perspective. It can help to be like, 
well, what, what does my mom said? Remember I said like, oh, my boyfriend from high school, my mom and dad were both like, I don't really like him. Like, did we have anybody who like threw up a red flag or things that we've repeatedly heard people say could even be compliments about you? Like my friends always be like, oh, you're always like the mom of the friend group, or you're so responsible or, and that's because I'm, I'm that, that's my role. My unhealthy role, right. Is taking on the weight for other people being the one that is always responsible, always shows up, always, you know, Right. sometimes I don't want to be that. Um, sometimes you get to be the parent. I don't need to be the parent, you know? Um, so pay attention to things that you maybe thought were compliments, maybe things that you've heard people say repeatedly, look for these patterns in your life. And that's really helpful and jot it down, whether you're old school, like me, and you have like paper journals, or if you're new school and you want to have like a Google doc, or you want to film yourself a little bit or take notes in your phone, whatever it is. Yeah. Keep those patterns available because it will help you not only see things before they happen in the future, new relationships. But if you do, if you are able to see a therapist, giving them that information is amazing. It will save you so much time and money in therapy because you've already kind of done the deep digging and the work that they would have had you do. Yeah. And it, can be incredibly helpful. Um, and when it comes to self-diagnosing or like what type of disorders this could be a part of, it could be a part of a ton of different things. I think the only difference between, let's say like major depressive disorder and a personality disorder, like borderline personality disorder is that depression usually, well, in order to be diagnosed has to happen for most days for two weeks. So two weeks is what I'm talking about. In order to be diagnosed with a personality disorder, we're talking six months to a year. You're looking for a larger pattern. I believe a therapist shouldn't diagnose someone with a personality disorder if they haven't seen them for a year, but that's just me. There's no rules on that. I just think you need to see someone through all of the seasons to decide. Yeah. Um, and so you'd have to see if you think it's part of something bigger for you, or if this is just a behavioral pattern that you learned. It can also help to look at like your siblings or your parents. Do they do this too? You know, um, because often we don't. It's, it's not that we don't think about it. It's we think like, oh, my parents don't know anything or they messed up this way or this was fucked up in my childhood versus, hey, would they come from? Because you usually know more about them than you realize. Consider where your who your parents' parents were. What are your grandparents like? What's the behavioral patterns there? Right. How do we communicate? You know, look for those things because there's so much helpful information in that. Oh my gosh. It's so good what you what you said about you know, the, the, the things that people tell you about yourself, like those things that can feel like compliments Mm -hmm. and it's like, yeah, it's always been seen as a positive thing, but that could be a really key indicator on like what's going on with you. And I mean, what about like, let's say that somebody is struggling to know, okay, is this a compliment or is this a, is an issue for me that I'm receiving? And I I feel like even sometimes in therapy, it can be hard to know like what a healthy situation looks like if, if somebody did not have healthy examples growing up about if, how do they know how to act in a relationship? If the example that was given was not a great example, if you are like a visual learner or you learn experientially, how can a therapist help you understand what that can look like in a relationship? Yeah. That's the beautiful thing about therapy. And it is hard. You're right. That's a great question because if we don't have a good template, how can we build something that's helped? We like can't, right. It was like, we don't have the blueprint. So actually the therapeutic relationship is that blueprint. Oh, interesting. Which I know people are probably like, but you're not supposed to get that close with your therapist. I'm not saying romantic relationship. That's against the law. I'm saying (laughs) (laughs) report them for lifetime movies people yeah right (laughs) there's even like a pamphlet you're supposed to give that's like professional psychotherapy never includes sex (laughs) not even kidding like when you get your license um so the way that we can use that therapeutic relationship is to understand clear and direct healthy communication healthy boundaries consistency right think of the things that a therapist offers to you we can use that as that blueprint because all of the things I just mentioned, like healthy boundaries, clear and direct communication, consistency, um, also building trust, mm-hmm. right? 
those are all things that are important in every relationship. And if we haven't been, if our parents, you know, had a horrible relationship or didn't have one at all, right. We, you know, had a single parent or even if like we've had our own slew, like I was talking about like shitty relationships I've had, it can take some relearning to better navigate relationships and to acknowledge your own role. Cause we always want to point the finger. Well, they were the messed up ones. I picked these unavailable men who were dickwads and that's why it didn't work out. We played our role. I have to, you know, I still had my own patterns of bad behavior and that's why that internal work we just talked about will be helpful. And then the therapeutic relationship can help you see and practice this new way of being. Cause it's going to be really uncomfortable for you to come into therapy sometime and say, I didn't like the homework and I couldn't do it. Or the way you spoke to me last week, shut me down. Or that felt very judgmental or whatever, whatever comes up for you. You might be surprised because a lot of times because therapy is a safe space, we can bring in other stuff from our past relationships. It's called transference, but we transfer it onto our therapist and we get mad at them. We think, or we can think that they're like our mom and we're like, oh, but I love you. And I want you in my life forever. You know, we can have like both sides of it, (laughs) Um, but all that's really helpful and healthy and important to bring up. And it's all good practice. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, I feel like uh, a lot of people might struggle with like, just, they don't know what they don't know. They don't know if what they're doing is healthy or not because they just didn't see certain things played out for them. And what, what, um, what would you say to somebody like, cause it's so hard to like admit that you have fucked up before and you keep fucking up or whatever that look that is. It's so much easier to like point at the other person what if somebody has a tendency, just default, whatever, learn behavior to kind of look at the other person and really not look at themselves? Is there mm-hmm. something that you would say to that person to start to like being more open to looking inward and that it's okay that you're imperfect? Like, is there anything that you would share with that person? Yeah. I mean, definitely it's okay. We're all imperfect. Yeah. And also certain relationships can be really triggering for us and we might not know why. Right. So just know you're not alone with that. But I think a way to kind of tap in or a question to ask yourself is when we're talking about this asshole, this shitty person in our life, that was like horrible, like this bad boyfriend or girlfriend or friend that we had, what were you doing during that time? Like, what was your role in that relationship? And I don't mean to look at it in the bad light or good light. It's just like, what was happening? And if you have a memory, this always helped me if you have a memory of like a blow up, like a fight or an issue or the time when you're like, it's over, what led up to that? Mm. Tell me about that. You know, tell yourself that story. What, what was happening? And if you have a few of these relationships or a few of these blow ups within the same relationship. So if you've had a bunch of these different relationships, you can start to see those patterns and you can see your role in it because it's easy to get caught up in like, well, they, they cheated or they lied. Okay you know, like, I know this sounds bad and I don't, I'll, I'll build from this, but like, what do they all have in common? You. So why do all those people have that in common? Mm -hmm. So let's think about this. And I don't mean it that it's your fault, but it's your role. Cause every relationship is 50, 50, whether we feel that or not, I'm here to tell you it's 50, 50. So either you selected them because they're emotionally unavailable and that's attractive, or you selected them because they were a bad girl or bad boy because you don't like being in charge. You prefer someone else to be in charge, right? You don't want to be responsible. There's always a reason. And if we can at least consider and be open to learning about ourselves, we'll figure it out. We'll see that pattern. I know it's hard. I know that we think like, well, how, how can I ever make it better? Or it's always, it's them though, but I didn't do anything wrong. It's not that you did anything wrong. There's just a pattern. Maybe that helps yeah. to make it less defensive. It's like, it's not good or bad. It's just something that keeps happening and we need to learn why, you know? Right, right. It's like, not like, uh, it's not like you're victim blaming, but you're taking responsibility for whatever part that you played in continuing to allow certain things happening, you know, in your life or going after being attracted to certain things, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah there's a reason why. Um 
there, oh, you said something really great. One of your videos about um, when relationships started and like who you were at the time versus, you know, maybe who you are now. Is mm-hmm. there like a certain like litmus test that, <laughs> or like a way to kind of break it down of like, you know, here's maybe here's something that some things to look at into um, maybe giving you the courage or clarity that you need in order to figure out if you want to stay in a situation or leave a situation. Are there certain things people can kind of utilize? Yeah. I mean, if we're unhappy with any relationship, it always pays to consider, you know, what's my role and can I give them an opportunity or us as the relationship, an opportunity to grow in the way that I'm going to need. I know this isn't really a litmus test, but it's more like if we give them the opportunity are they willing to change? Like that's been a good litmus test, honestly, for me in my friendships and in romantic relationships. When I, like I had this boyfriend, it was the boyfriend I had right before I met my husband, where I was always going to him. I was always doing the extra lifting, the extra work in the relationship. Um, No plans were ever made that I didn't make. Do you know what I mean? Just things like that. And I was in therapy and my therapist was like, that doesn't really seem very balanced. And, you know, she asked a bunch of questions about like, what does he do for you? And what are things that, and there was nothing really, but again, it's not just his fault. I let that happen. And so I, um, I asked him to do something for me. And I said, you know, I feel like I'm doing most of this. Um, first of all, he reacted poorly. No, I'm doing just as much blah, 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 which was kind of an indicator. And then he didn't follow through with what he said he would. And so I talked to him about it and was like, you know, I can't be the only one doing this. So really what I'm saying is in your relationships, when you acknowledge something that isn't working for you, put words to it, maybe practice it in therapy or practice on your own, bring it to the person you're in a relationship with and say, Hey, I've been noticing this for me. Use your I statements. I feel that this is happening and I would like things to improve in this way. Give them an opportunity to change. And if they can't, then you have to decide, are you happy with the relationship the way it is? The answer is no, but you might not be able to admit that yet. Mm. And are you going to walk away? You know, And I think that's a for any kind of change, for any kind of growth, if we ever feel like we've outgrown someone or you know something, it I know it's hard and there's going to be grieving. But if we're hoping to improve things and we feel this is something we need, Anybody who really loves you and wants to be in your life will work with you. Mm-hmm. Other people won't. And I know it's hard to accept. And we, you know, we have this dream of what this relationship was or is going to be, or we lean into like past stuff. Well, they've been here. They were there with me when, you know, my dad got sick or when I had that really horrible breakup or whatever. Yeah. But what about now? You know, and sometimes we, we ignore the now because of the past. There was this beautiful, um, the show New Girl. I don't watch it anymore, but I think it was like the first or second season. Jess, the main character, Zoe Deschanel, yeah. and her best friend, they grew up together as best friends, but her best friend's like a supermodel. They Cece, yes. Cece, exactly. <laughs> and her and Cece have nothing in common anymore. And there's this episode where she's like, if we met today, would we be friends? And the answer was no, but they still show up for each other and prioritize each other. And it was kind of like a learning for them because I think both of them were kind of hurt by the fact that like, well, if we met today, we wouldn't be friends, but that doesn't necessarily mean it can't work. Right. Because they both put in the effort and they both showed up for each other and they adapted to each other's environments. If we don't do that, no, we wouldn't be friends and we shouldn't be friends. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great example of like, yeah, maybe, you know, their interests have changed a lot or their situations, but Mm -hmm. they're still willing to show up and, you know, maybe they value some of the similar things that make the relationship work. What are some other things people say to that kind of keep them stuck in, in a situation that isn't good for them? I know for myself, um, I kept making the excuse like, well, this person's been in my life for so long. So mm-hmm. all these years were, what would that be for? That seems like kind of a waste or like, I should, I should keep stay here. I should keep going. And when I really got honest with myself of like, no, I would not, if I met this person now, I, I would, this person would not 
be in my life. I would maybe one or two meetings, I would not really want to continue a relationship. Um, what other, what other things do people tell themselves that kind of keep them maybe stuck in something that they don't actually want to be stuck in? There's so many, um, but they need me or like, and like you said, going back to the history, oh, but they were here for me and this, that, and the other. And I do want to, you said like, uh, something about feeling like it'd be a waste, like all that time, that relationship, right. If we've been together and hanging out or friends or dating for all these years, it'd be a waste. I would argue that nothing's a waste because we're always growing. We're always learning about ourselves and we're always understanding relationships in a new way. And so no relationship is ever a waste. Sure. It can be damaging or hurtful, or we wish it didn't happen, but it's not a waste. And so I want to challenge people. If you feel that way, don't stay in something because you, oh, but then the last five years will be a waste. No, the last five years taught you that you deserve better. And so you should get out, you know, Mm -hmm. if that's, if that's the case. Um, so I think the, oh, they need me or I need them. Um, who we can, and romantic relationships. I hear this a lot from my community. Well, I don't think anybody else will accept me for the way that I am, or no one else will love me. Right. Especially if we're in an abusive relationship, we can feel like we're unlovable. We can be told no one else will love me. Um, this is as good as it gets. We can think that. And I'm, these might be things you don't even recognize you're telling yourself, but you're telling yourself. Yeah. If you're a woman and you want children, how am I going to find someone in time to have kids? I have many of friends who've been married and divorced because of this rush to jump into things. Um, and out of relationships, a lot of people will say, well, that'll make me happy. If I'm in a relationship, I'll be happy. Nothing's preventing me from being happy today. Just you. And I know that's really hard for people. Um yeah. I think those are the main ones that I hear. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, those are all so good. I I've talked a lot about, um, on this podcast, my decision not to have kids and how there's a variety of responses around that in my life. Yeah. And, but, you know, from this other point of view, I, I, I have not been in a position where I was maybe in a relationship and wanting to have kids. Maybe my partner didn't want to, wasn't ready. How can somebody, how can somebody navigate that? If they're in a relationship, they really want kids, but it doesn't seem like it's going that way, or maybe it's not a great situation. How could they prioritize both of those things, like their need in a relationship and their desire to have children by a certain time? I think it's going to be tricky. So if it is a healthy, happy relationship, you, if you're going to have kids with someone, you should be able to talk about it. Mm. So, and usually early on in dating, let's say within the first like six months to a year, there's some mention of, Oh, do you want kids? Yeah. I feel like that's just natural. And if, if that is a priority for you, then you should feel okay to talk about it. Otherwise don't have kids with that person. (laughs) You can't talk. There's going to be a lot trickier things to bring up. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) Life's really complicated. Um, So there's that component, but I do want to, I guess the therapist in me is like, unfortunately, life does not go as planned because we can't control other people. And I encourage everybody to adjust your expectations because uh, what's the old saying? Expectations are just resentments in the making. Ooh, that is a good one. Yeah. And I I don't know who said it and I'm sorry. It should have been one of my quotes. (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) Somebody out (laughs) there. So many good ones. Um, But so be aware of what, you know, what expectations you're placing on yourself and others, because having a child can be something you do on your own if that's what you want, but it might not look the way you thought it would look. Or maybe we want to freeze our eggs. I have some friends do this. Maybe we want to freeze our eggs because we want the opportunity to have a child later Mm. be a surrogate or whatever. Um, I know not everyone has this availability, but I just want you to consider the fact that what you are wanting in life. I'm not here to tell you you can't have it, but you might have to adjust what that looks like because I cannot tell you how, how unhealthy it is. There's probably a better word, but unhealthy is the one I'm going to stick with how unhealthy it is to stay in a relationship or get into a relationship 
just in order to have children. Yeah. I don't think people, I, mean, I don't have kids either. And we are child free. Like we've decided we don't, and people do respond. What do you hate kids? What are you a demon? You yeah. know? <laughs> yes. Gotten them I'm all. like, no, I just don't want kids. I like dogs and that's fine. Um, <laughs> but, um, but people, you know, like it, I know it's difficult for people to understand and to accept the fact that it might not look and feel the way that you thought it would look and feel, but to get with someone to bring a child into the world isn't going to be healthy. And I don't think people realize how much pressure a child puts on any relationship. Like my friends who have the healthiest, happiest of marriages have a difficult time when they have two under two. That's the, they're like in the shits. Like they're not sleeping. It, it's crazy. It's a mad, it's crazy for a while, but you need to have your person. You need to have selected your mate properly so that you have that partner in the bunker with you while you go through war. That's not how you want to start something, you know, and especially to bring a child into that, I feel like we're just perpetuating unhealthy old patterns. So just consider other ways that this could look and feel for you and be open to it. Maybe not looking like what you thought when you were 18 and dreamed this dream, you know? Yes. I love, I love that. Just adjusting your expectations because I I feel like um, maybe our initial gut reaction might be like, well, that's a negative thing. This is what I wanted. But when I look at just my own experiences and and my own life, I'm like, I could have never imagined that this would be my career talking to you right now. And like all these (laughs) things, I couldn't have even um, planned for something this cool. And so I'm so glad that life didn't meet my expectations and so many ways. So maybe it's something where it's, you know, not necessarily have to be a negative thing. I feel like there's like pros and cons to kind of any path that you choose. Is there anything that you like to tell people, um, that I don't know, helps them like make peace with the fact that things are not going as they planned and that there might be, you know, something really great that comes out of it. If they just kind of, I don't know, are able to get in the right headspace or mindset. Yeah. I love that too. I could never have dreamed that this would be the life. And I think I thought I wanted kids when I was younger too, but when push came to shove, I was like, no, you know? Um, so yeah, being open to an alternative reality kind of, I think is really powerful. I guess, I guess my advice would be to consider when you dreamed that dream, consider how little you knew about you about the world. Because often, like I said, it's from a young age, like, like I said, I thought I wanted kids when I was like 16 to 18. And then by like 24, I was like, no. So, but young me grew up in a super, super small town. She didn't know much about anything in general. Um, knew she wanted to leave for school. That's about it. You know, like I had such limit. I didn't think very highly of myself. I was still in that shitty relationship. Like just consider when you dreamed your dream, how much more you've learned since then. And that you could never have dreamt or imagined that it would be like it is now. So what else could be? Ooh, that is delicious. Katie. <laughs> that is a delicious. Yeah. That whole thing. I'm going to replay this. Um, uh, <laughs> that is just so good. Is there anything that we did not cover today about learned helplessness or anything else that you think is important for people to know in this conversation? I guess just the wrap up that anything that's learned can be unlearned and you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It's not like, you know, I'm 38, I'll be 39 in a week or two here. I can still learn new things. I can still change. We're all still works in progress. No one's got to figure it out, but we can all learn how to be better with each other. Right. Right. I love that. Um, Where can people find you and your work and all that good stuff? Yeah. I have my YouTube channel, Katie Morton, just K-A-T-I-M-O-R-T-O-N. I have a podcast, Ask Katie Anything, where I just answer questions from the audience about any and everything. No, no weird questions. You know, everything's okay. Um, yeah. And all socials, just Katie Morton. Uh, thank you so much. This is probably one of my favorite conversations that we've had on the show. Thank you so much for like, I love your, your, there's like such a nice balance. Obviously you're a licensed therapist, but you share so much personal information, which for me 
is very helpful. That's how I learn. And that's how I retain things. And um, sometimes I find that there's a little bit of a wall in certain situations with different professionals. So I just really appreciate you being as open as you are. And it's freaking great. And I'm going to go binge more of your stuff. Um, So (laughs) thank you for taking the time today. I know this was like really valuable for people. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was a delight. What an episode. I just love the way that Katie presents information. Uh, so many good analogies and things that are just very memorable. Uh, I always appreciate that when I'm learning about a new topic. So thank you so much to Katie for doing the podcast today. And we do have an iTunes review of the episode. This is from JessBro81. And it's got like six cookie emojis, which we love, of course. And it says, I'm loving this podcast. I know this is a boring review, but I love listening to them and it gets me motivated. I love it. Not boring at all, JessBro81. Uh, much appreciated. If you want to leave a review for the show, you can do so on your Apple Podcast app, iTunes, something like that. And it might get read on next episode. Um, and then again, if you are a business owner, entrepreneur, you're looking to scale a business in a very intentional way, maybe a lot of mainstream methods aren't really working well for you, or they don't feel like a good fit for your personality or your values. Maybe you're just starting your business venture and you're really trying to figure out how to become highly profitable with what you're doing. And maybe you've been in business for years making you know multiple six and seven figures. We have a lot of resources and um, services over there, uh, no matter where you're at on this journey. So come on over to DelaneyFisher.com if you want to tune into the Minimalist Business Podcast. We'd love to have you. All right. Thank you so much for being here today. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Helpless Podcast. You can find our Patreon community, merch, and our individual work at selfhelplesspodcast.com. We'd be thrilled if you shared this episode with a friend or feel free to post it on Instagram and tag at selfhelplesspodcast so we can repost you and say thank you. Thank you.